Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me today is the Doyen of Daz. That's the second time I've called you that. I'm probably going to do it forever more. Jules Boyle. Alrighty. On the pod today, we're going to look ahead to Hearts against Celtic in the William Hill Scottish Cup final. Looks like it's going to be another wonderful occasion and we will drill down into the detail of how both sides are shaping up. We're also going to look at comments made by Richard Goff on how he has been mentoring Nikola Katic at the heart of Rangers' defence. So, uh, Jules, well, Scottish Cup final. First of all, before we get started, I think for, for many people who love Scottish football like we do, there is a romance associated with this tournament that leads right back to your childhood. What's the earliest memory you have of this tournament? Surely you remember big cup finals back when you were a kid. Do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Go first. My first memory was of the 1991 cup final, Motherwell against Dundee United. Um, I only started to get into football in about 1989, 1990, and the, the matches before that don't really ha- didn't really make an impression on me. But that incredible game, as a complete neutral, because Dundee United and Motherwell mean nothing to me um, in terms of a, a sort of fan support. The game was a 4-3 classic. It went from end to end. I think Dundee United scored first. Mother, Motherwell equalised. Maybe it was the other way around, but it was an incredibly exciting game. There was a young Phil O'Donnell orchestrating things for Motherwell. And I think uh, Ali Maxwell broke his ribs and every save that he made, it was like, oh, you know, there was, a, there was a, just a sense that he was playing through the pain barrier in an incredible way. And it, it just, the memories of that tournament and that game in particular remain so vivid with me. It's always been the romance of the Scottish Cup. Whenever I think about that game, it, it takes me almost back to, to that point as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old kid watching that game with mm. and, and being captivated by it. What about yourself? Yeah, the one that sticks out for me most it isn't it, one of my first ones because um, that was years and years before um, is probably the centenary year which was 88 um, 16 years old um, that year centenary was, year for what's this um, Arbroath <laughs> um, for Dundee United uh, I think it was Celtic was oh, it right, okay, I think it was I think it was I heard that uh, one before yes that one <laughs> um, that was obviously a huge a huge huge game um, there was a lot of pressure on that kind of similar in a way to tomorrow for the team I think but in a different way um, obviously um, Celtic hadn't had the best of years um, running up to that point um, that was a massive massive game obviously Ian McIverney who was an absolute stellar player at the time um, which mean they hadn't had the best of years they'd won the league and they're running up to it yeah they won the league up there but the years before it wasn't like they, they ah right okay sorry yes it wasn't, right. it wasn't those days but it was dum 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 you know you had all the generations telling you about the Lions and you know the quality street kids which I remember you know as a small child a lot of success and then all of a sudden there wasn't a lot of success you know, yeah. you know Aberdeen did it you know, wasn't the best of times well that's back. the thing because the, the Dundee United were a very good side at that point even still the, the remnants of Jim McLean's best era was mm-hmm. still kicking about yeah yep. so you're talking about people like Neri and Malpass uh-huh. presumably were still heavily involved in that team yep still with the bones of that team and still were a very good side um, so there's absolutely no formalities there whatsoever um, so I don't think any Celtic fan was walking in even with the league going you know this is on this is happening um, but you know it got over the line they played a 
great game of football, but it was more about the occasion and the, the event and what it meant as well. It wasn't just a Scottish Cup, and as you say, the glamour's there, and it's always that thing. It's the end of the season. Um, no matter what's happened, you know, you can get a team like Hearts that haven't done great this season. They're in the Scottish Cup. There's something like that. something might happen if you've done well. You want to cap it off with that, and if you've won the league and you're in the Scottish Cup and you lose it, it puts a wee bit of dampener on the achievement of the league. So you've got this massive weight on it. You know what I mean, and uh, 1988 for Celtic to do that, it really capped it off, and it was like a magical. You know, folk say a lot of times a magic to the club and that sort of thing. Since the end of the year, being able to do that um, meant the absolute world to a lot of folks. It was, yeah, and of course, you know, not only were Dundee United good in that centenary year, but Rangers were in the middle of the soonest. Well, not in the middle, but at the start of the soonest era, mm-hmm. Rangers had won the previous league, so it was a big comeback for Celtic because yeah. Rangers had people like. Terry Butcher and Chris Woods at the club at that time and we're spending big money right but we're going to move on to this uh, cup final that is tomorrow mm-hmm. we're going to bring this right back into the present day Jules you'll be delighted to hear <laughs> you're struggling a little bit with those remember wins don't ask me about memory um, we look at the results between these two sides this season and Hart started things off in August with a quite a memorable 1-0 win Kyle Lafferty scoring the winner with a terrific volley the kind of bit of skill that he's not really shown since he went to Rangers, <laughs> but that secured them the move in the first place. Since then, though, Celtic really have turned on the style against Hearts. There's a 3-0 win in October at Tynecastle, a 5-0 home victory in November, a memorable 2-1 win in the last minute when Neil Lennon's first game in charge, where it looked like Craig Levine's men were maybe going to throw a spanner on the title works, but Celtic got over the line. And then finally, of course, the last game of the season, which was just last week, uh, which was a 2-1 win for Celtic. So in the last four games, Celtic have scored 12 goals and Hearts have scored two. So that maybe tells you why Celtic are considered such strong favourites at the bookies. And this isn't traditionally a tournament where there's been a lot of cup final surprises, Jules. It's kind of hard to really think of that many over the last 20 years, if any at all. Mostly the team that's the favourite beforehand wins. I mean, the argument that St. Johnson perhaps against Dundee United was a bit of a shock, but I think that was quite, in reality, quite an even game, both mm. top six sides or whatever at the time, or, or certainly there or thereabouts. Um, this one, though, you would fancy Celtic as strong, strong favourites, wouldn't you? Oh, you got to. You've absolutely got to. Um, I think if you look at, if it was the Hearts team for the start of the season and how they were playing, it might be a different sort of situation, but it's, it's not, and let's be honest, I mean, without Stephen A. Smith, they're, they're just not the same team, and without saying he's, they're a one-man team, he's a huge, huge loss to them. Celtic haven't been um, playing their best most of the season, I don't think anybody would argue with that, and even before Neil Lennon, but they've still got the results when they have to get the results, they've ground them out, or they have played well at times. Looking at it tomorrow, it looks like Neil Lennon's got his full team available to him, all his best players are back. You just can't see past him. You just can't at all. Well, that's right. He's come out and uh, and put in... Um, well, he's not come out. He's just put in Kieran Tierney, James Forrest and Scott Brown into the squad. Now, Brown was a doubt with a foot injury. Um, Tierney's obviously been struggling with this double hernia that we discussed in detail yesterday. And uh, Forrest has also missed the last couple of games, um, I believe, with a foot injury as well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that is three pretty important players that are going to be available. And I suppose in a game where Celtic's arguably biggest problem will be their own mental state, you know, like if they get themselves into a tizzy about the fact there's a potential treble treble mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they're potentially creating history, that actually might be more difficult than the, the 
objective hearts put in front of them based on those last four games. Now, mm-hmm. of course, it's football. Anything can happen in a one-off environment. Yeah. Um, but you would think that Tierney, Forrest and Brown, guys that have been over the course so many times, having them available will be a big boon to Neil Lennon from that sort of psychological element of the game's point of view. I definitely think so. I think uh, their presence and their experience um, will settle the team. Um, they will want they will want this. They will know what it means and what they need to do. Um, and the rest of the team will play off that. And also as well, if they're there, it's not somebody else that's in who's not as experienced or not as talented or not got the mentality who could be, you know, letting balls go or not doing what they're meant to do. You've got these guys that know it and they'll get on with it. And that'll be a huge, huge bonus to them, I think. In terms of Neil Lennon, where does this game leave him? Because it seems to me, outsider looking in, that Celtic fans aren't that chuffed about the idea of him taking over. Now, do you think that could change tomorrow in the euphoria of a treble treble win? Do you think it will soften that social media sentiment that we've seen so often in the last few weeks? Or do you think Lennon's time's maybe come and gone? It's a tricky one. I think um, if he loses it, it's a formality. That's, yes. that, that's that gone. So we, we can ignore that completely. If he wins it, I, I think it's one of those things where he's expected to win it. Uh, he was left with this team that have done all this great stuff and he was expected just to get it over the line and do it. Um, I think there'll be a bit more goodwill if he achieves that. And obviously, I mean, there's no guarantee that he's going to. I mean, it could have went completely pear-shaped months ago with the league and the cup. And obviously, he's done well to do it. So if he does it, he deserves the credit for it. I think it will soften some people a little bit, but at the same time, I don't think it will make much difference either way. People either want him there or they don't. Mm. Um, and that's changed over since he's came in. Um, I've seen a lot of folk who were initially saying, yep, definitely, and kind of coming over the other end of it because the football's not been great. Um, I don't think it's going to make much difference these chances. I think either Celtic have decided that they're keeping him or they've got someone in the pipeline and it's, it's going to be either or and it doesn't matter if he wins it or not. And that's someone in the pipeline if you believe the Glasgow rumour mill, and if you look at the bookies' odds, could be David Moyes. Now, we don't know. It's it's gossip, it's innuendo, it's dramatically falling odds at the bookies. Now, that could happen in a number of ways, but it does seem to, be, seem to me that it's across a number of bookies, so it's not like one of these ones where it's paddy power, someone's chucked a tenor on Jose Mourinho and he, he's fallen down the list mm-hmm. or I suppose Josie Mourinho is a bad example <laughs> given his his link to Celtic but you, you know what I mean Pep yeah. Guardiola someone sticks a tenor on and yeah. it immediately means he goes from 100 to 1 to, to 15 to 1 and yeah. all of a sudden Everyone people are going oh. um, there seems to be more substance to this Davy Moyes thing from the point of view that he's an ex-Celtic player he's out of work he's had a few disappointing spells which makes him more um, gettable I would suppose for Celtic whereas maybe five years ago he, he would be a name that would just be just too successful mm-hmm. um, what's your natural reaction to the idea that Davy Moyes could come in would that be a good Celtic manager I, I don't think so at all I, th- I think that would be a, a a disastrous manager in quite a lot of respects for Celtic I think it would be really disastrous bit, yeah in a lot what of ways what makes you think he'd be disastrous <sighs> Okay, well, for a start, if you look at Brendan Rodgers coming in, that's a, a thoroughbred racehorse coming in. It's this big level prestige manager coming in with all this sort of ideas and changing things, getting all this success. To go back to someone like Moyes, with what he's been up to of late, you know, since, well, no, he's not really done a great amount of things. He's regularly, you know, shown his ankles to the club or Scotland, these things like that. How can about for it? Shown his ankles? <laughs> it's an old term, Johnny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't think, what, what they need to do is get someone in that's going to inspire the fans, first of all. First and foremost, before the, the, anything really starts, you've got to get the fans behind it. There's, you know, 
10,000 on the waiting list for season tickets, people are you know up and going for it. I don't think that's going to be the, the appointment that's going to get folk going mental for it. You look at yesterday, was three years since Brendan Rodgers. I don't think we want them going mental. I <laughs> in think a good way, in a good way. They'll go <laughs> a mental. Positive mental. Positive. Think of it, three years yesterday, Brendan Rodgers unveiled at Celtic Park. Weekday, there was like over 10,000 people there. They had to let them into the stadium. Everybody, it was a real big event. Everybody was really yeah. excited. If Moyes gets that appointment, saying Monday, it sounds as Moyes, how many folk would be turning up at that? But listen, what before, I wanted, we, before we get to football. I, I get that, right? But before we get carried away with a sort of fan's viewpoint, let's just try and put rational, objective hats on for this one. Davy Moyes was so highly thought of in the job that he did over a long-term period at Everton mm-hmm. that he got the Manchester United job. Yep. So at some point, David Moyes reached a higher scale mm-hmm. in the hierarchy of football management than even Brendan Rodgers. He did. Has he just lost that? Or, or has he just been unlucky or, or, or silly with his choice of clubs? Now, Listen, I understand why he went to Real Sociedad. He's trying to develop himself. He's trying to improve his skill set. He's trying to try a different football and, and, and learn as much as he can about the game. And that should be applauded. So I think it's unfair to tar him with, well, that didn't work because that's a big cultural change. Um, so let's forget about that. What you have to concentrate on at that point is his work at West Ham, his work at Sunderland, um, and his work at Manchester United. Now... <laughs> Replacing Fergie was always going to be a nightmare. And listen, Josie Mourinho, I think, is maybe the second manager, best manager in world football, even now. Uh, I mean, the guy's won two Champions Leagues, he's won titles everywhere he's been. I mean, he won the UEFA Cup only two years ago, even though people are writing him off. Um, and he couldn't fix Manchester United. Um, all he's going to Solskjaer certainly doesn't look like he's going to fix no. Manchester United. Lee Van Hal, who's another, you know, one of the best 30 or 40 managers of the last 100 years, couldn't fix Manchester United. So the idea that Davy Moyes is somehow really that badly diminished by eight months in the job where he only signed maybe two players, one Mata and um, Fellaini, of any note, I think is, is a bit unfair. But fair enough, you know, in terms of Sunderland, that was a disastrous club to go to. It was his own fault because he knew when he was going in that Sunderland was a basket case. He thought, maybe I can turn it round. He looked like a, a lost puppy at times at Sunderland. It just it was a disaster. But you know what? West Ham, I did see signs that he was maybe pulling it back together. I thought, saved them from relegation, gave them a bit of stability. It's not a sexy name for West Ham. And they're a big club now. If you look at their attendances in that mm-hmm. new stadium, it's pretty significant. Um, but actually, you know what? He stabilised that club and, and maybe doesn't get quite the credit he deserves. But what he needs now, I think, he needs to do what Brendan Rodgers did, which is why I think he'll look at Celtic and think, this could work for me. Oh, he will. But listen, I think it's a little bit unfair the way he's been characterised. And the way you've characterised <laughs> them, Jules. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me, Joe, um, is it a gill for the Simpsons? The used car salesman who's always seen me in another job, it's never going right for him. Um, it seemed he's that kind of guy like that. I just, so, you're not convinced by my arguments? Uh, your arguments are valid, uh, they're undoubtedly valid. I just can't, I just think the, the job that he's got is, is so crucial. It's not just like coming in a you know another team and try to do better with it or anything like that. This is basically the Celtic team are looking to push on and get nine in a row and get ten in a row, these sort of things like that. Now, it's not to be all end all, of course, it isn't. Do you know what I mean, but it is a job that cannot cannot go wrong 
There's no room for mistakes. There's no room for someone to retrain or relearn or build himself up or any of these sort of things. Like that. It can't. It can't be done. There's no. You know, as you say, there's no second chances. There's no second chances. If this goes south, it would be just disastrous, absolutely disastrous for you know a lot of people, and a lot of other people would laugh till the day they died that it had been so badly managed. And that is not the time where you gamble with someone like David Moyes, who's not been on the best of it. Um, and not been in a great point in his career for quite some time. To come back into that, it's just it's too much a gamble. Maybe in like three years' time, and things were different. You know, maybe we could have wasted a lot of air on this because, of course, this isn't anything substantial or no. substantiated. This is <laughs> yeah. just simply the bookies and what the fans are talking yeah. about. So it, it may be nonsense. So we'll move on, and we'll talk a little bit about Hearts. Um, Craig Levine has uh, named uh, Peter Haring, uh, Ick Piezu and Jim in his squad. These guys are all really important members of that Hearts team. Big physical units. To me, having watched Hearts a few times this season, they look excellent at set pieces. I think they've scored more goals from set pieces than any other club in the league. Yep. But I would worry if I was a Hearts fan about the stability of the team in terms of uh, on a transitional point of view if teams are breaking on them I'd worry about Hearts from the point of view of uh, passing the ball around and keeping the ball for long stretches against Celtic especially if Celtic lock on with a sort of high press mm-hmm. don't think Hearts have the ability to play around that so Craig Levine probably the strategy is going to be to hit it long play direct get in their faces uh, and try and hit Ike Piezu yeah, 100%. Um, do Celtic have the players to deal with Ike Piezu Adger at the back, Boyata at the back, Jozo, Jozo at the back. Yeah. Which of those two do you think will play, and do you think they'll be able to handle Ick Piezu? I think uh, it'll be Ayer and Jozo at the back, um, and I think they will. I, I definitely think they will. Ick Piezu, I'm not going. To, he's a decent player. He's a big unit, as you say. Um, he's a target man. He's not that efficient in front of goal. Um, if you open play. Um, you watch him play. I've watched quite a lot of Hearts games um, this season. I've seen quite a lot uh, recently, especially as you say, they're, they're a set piece team. All their goals, you know, come for set piece, and that sounds great. They've got more set pieces than anyone else. But again, look at what they get when, without the set pieces. Very, very little. Um, you watch them play, and they struggle, and they huff and puff, and then they get a set piece, and it's a different one every time. They obviously work on it, and they've got tall players. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. Haring's really good in the air. Piezu's mm-hmm. a, a big unit. Yeah, they've got. Christoph Berra back there, Suter. Mm. They've got a lot of players to hit yeah, that are over yeah. six foot. Yeah, totally. They've got, they've, got a, they've got a giant team and a lot of targets. Um, and, and that's stood them in good stead up to this point. And obviously, they've not been in a particularly great run recently as well. Um, but that's kind of all they've got. Do you know what I mean, they don't have a lot of other things. What they have been good at, and they've done it with Celtic, um, and it's not worked amazingly at certain points, obviously, this season, but there is thing. The thing with Celtic, this team, if you don't give them time in the ball, if you get up in their faces, you get physical with them, don't let them pass, that kind of seems to really scupper Celtic quite a lot. Um, and that's the way I think they're going to be doing it. Do you know what I mean? That's what, and it's a lot of Levine's style anyway. So if they do that, try not to let them play. And they've got the, strength, the big, strong players to deal with it and do that. But it's just, you know, is that enough? Is it, are they going to be able to cope with it? I don't think they will. I think anybody that's been watching Scottish football knows that Craig Levine's a decent manager and capable of pulling off a result. We saw that incredible 4-0 game at Tynecastle where Brendan Rodgers finally lost the Invincibles tag, I think after 73 games or whatever it was. And as you say, that was a strategy. Get right up on top of them. Let them have the ball Uh until you get to a point where it goes to one of the players that you know can hurt you, like Scott Brown. Lock on, get in his face, Mm -hmm. 
get in the player that he passes the ball to his face, put them under severe pressure, and they'll struggle to pass around that. The thing about it is, though, is have Hearts really shown that kind of uh, form in the last, say, six months? They haven't looked like that side that went the first six games of the season without dropping a single point. I went to Tynecastle for the first game that they actually dropped points. Um, I'm probably a bit of a a hoodoo for them. Whenever I go to Tynecastle, they either lose or draw. But they'd won the first six games. They went against Livingston. I think it was going to be seven. And they drew 0-0. One thing I thought about that day was that, um, you know, people were saying it wasn't a great result for Hearts. But actually, I could tell Livingston were going to be a good team. And I thought, Mm. actually, you know, it was one of those ones. Hearts missed a penalty. Um, so they, they they could have won on another day, but it was quite obvious from speaking to fans and people at the stadium, people in the club, that um, Hearts didn't have a really really good depth of quality. They had a good first eleven, mm. but if you went down, it was going to be a struggle. Despite as Michael Stewart has said quite a few times, they have signed a lot of players and they do have a lot of players in the squad. But what they don't have is if Ek Piezu isn't uh, isn't performing, isn't playing then who, who do you play? Who do you play in this position? There's not a replacement for Uchi Ikpiezu. There's not really a replacement for what Stephen Naismith gives you. Yeah. They don't have that depth in their squad to get away with that kind of thing. So that's why I think Hearts have, have, have struggled. They've got a good first 11. If they keep that first 11 playing every game, they'll be absolutely fine. They'll do well. They'll probably be the third best team in Scotland. But they've had such bad luck. Ikpiezu out for four months. Uh, Christoph Bear, I think, was out for five months. Mm-hmm. Naismith's been out maybe, what, half the season? Yep. Those are the Two three periods. best players that they've got and three of the best players in the league outside of the uh, the top two. Mm-hmm. So any club would struggle without them. Yeah, 100%. And it's so noticeable. You can see points where they're doing well and you can, if you even look at the, the results and that, you can actually pinpoint where they've lost players because that's when they're not doing well. They immediately just fall over as soon as they've got... Because as you say, they don't have the depth, they, don't, they can't replace it. Even with players that are roughly... Almost as good, but not quite. It's just not there. It's just not there at all. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things that um, seems to be a, a, a developing story at Tynecastle is the relationship between some of the fans and, and Craig Levine. And I thought Anne Budge was interesting today. Um, she's come out to back Craig Levine. She said, I hear some supporters saying that Craig is bomb-proof, but he's not. I can say that categorically. I've been in business a long time and nobody is bomb-proof. This has been a very topsy-turvy season. Are we heading in the right direction? I genuinely believe so. As long as I feel that's the case, then I'll back our plan and I'll back the people who are working incredibly hard to deliver it. Let me say something else. If Craig thought things weren't really going well, uh, sorry, if Craig thought things were going really badly and he was part of the issue, he'd be the first to say, this isn't working. Now, does this mean I'm not prepared to deal with it if it's not working? No, it doesn't. I mean, so Anne Budge pretty much saying there that she would not accept uh, poor performance from Craig Levine if she didn't think they were going in the right direction. But she also thinks that if it wasn't working, Craig would be the first person to come and tell her. They seem to have an incredibly strong relationship. And I think it's it's easy for Hearts fans who get a bit frustrated with uh, the, the Levine style. And I can completely understand that because it's not my style of football that I would want to see. Um, but... I think Hearts have got really good foundations of that club, uh, to use the pun, um, and they've built something. And that relationship between uh, chairman and manager, talk to anyone in football and they'll say it over and over again, that is the most important relationship. And I think here Anne Budge is, is showing 
that Craig Levine has never probably had it so good. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think you, you kind of have to wonder what Craig Levine would have to do to, to get her to decide to give him the bullet. I mean, you can see what she said there. Um, he's not going anywhere. Um, and obviously, as, as we've said, they've struggled with injuries and things like that this season, but they've not had the best of seasons, but they're still in the Scottish Cup final. They've got to this point. Well, um, the, the season is defined now by one game. Yep. The whole season will be looked upon in the history books as either a success or a failure dependent on this one game. Because the narrative will be clearly, if they win the Cup, oh, we've had our ups and downs, but injuries. But we won the Cup. We won the Cup. Yeah. If they don't win the Cup, it'll be Craig Levine's brought in 14 or 15 players and it's been entirely inconsistent and the football's been garbage. Yeah. It's not, there's not going to be any uh, room for manoeuvre on this, is there? It's, it's either or. I mean, it's literally either or and it's quite an extreme either or. Because if they win that Cup, it'll be against all the odds. Against it, it'll be smashing the bookies. And it will be an absolute massive, massive result. And get Craig Levine's first ever cup. Let's you know, point that one out as well. That's a huge, huge deal. But they're playing against... They're, they're so not the favourites, it's not true. You've got to think, look ahead, think... Well, the chance are it is going to be the latter. It's going to be the disastrous season where they brought in all these players that wasn't good enough and the football has been garbage. But I, w- then, I would give Craig Levine another chance, another season, to get it right. I think Hearts are lucky to have Craig Levine. He is a very, very good manager at this level and he's been doing it for many years now he took over from Ian Cathro it, it didn't work for Ian um, when he was at Hearts I think Ian would be the first to say that himself um, for a number of reasons but Craig Levine took over you know it, it, things hadn't been working out and he had to re-establish and re, um, reinvigorate that squad um, with new signings and, and, and change it because Ian wanted to play a certain style of football and there was a bit of a hodgepodge. Some players could play that and some players couldn't. But Craig, I think, is more direct in his approach and wanted to bring in players that would fit fit to that. Um, so that first season, although they finished sixth, I think that was a reasonable outcome for Hearts. I know they'd spent a bit of money, but given where they were when he took over, I, I think that could only be seen as a, as a success. This season, you would have expected Hearts, given the investment, to push on. But they haven't got worse. I think they're a little bit better off in the table. Um, certainly, they're no worse off. They're, they're no worse off um, from what I can recall. And um, they've got to this Scottish Cup final, so I'd say it's marginal improvement. But for me, with the amount of bad luck that they've had with injury, that would sway me towards giving them another shot. And fair enough. Listen, if next season it's the same, the football's the same, the results are as inconsistent, then I think Anne Budge will, will have to make serious decisions towards the end of next season um, because Hearts for me they are you know in the, the top four biggest clubs in Scotland um, so they should be in that top four all things being equal and certainly I think budget wise because of the money that's been pumped in by the foundation they are maybe maybe third, third biggest club in Scotland in terms of that and, 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 and you know if you go to Gorgie that the fans will give you that expectation because um, you know there's a, there's a lot of pressure in Edinburgh there's a lot of people who 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 you know back the club and 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 are putting money into the club and they want to see a return. So yeah. I think that's fair enough. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think if you look at as you said, if you look at the money it's been pumped in and look at their you know no better off than they were last season with injuries you know and stuff. But that's that's where that money should be going. It should be you know, getting players that can cope with that, cope and give depth in the squad, and it's not. But but the thing about that and where I think that argument falls down is, see if you put your money to Stephen Naismith. You're not. There's there's no way you can recover from an injury to Stephen Naismith if you're a Hearts, yeah, because you've pushed the boat out to get a guy you know is better than what you have, absolutely, and he's better than what anyone else has outside Celtic and Rangers in that position. 
And if you lose him, you're paying those wages still, you don't have him, and you can't replace him. So I think that's a really difficult one for people to be too hard on Craig Levine about because fair's fair. You know, he's done well to get a player of that standing in the club and when he's injured, there's very little you can do. But I'm going to move this on now before we run out of time, Jules, because we've gone on a lot longer than I was expecting and and quickly touch on some comments about Nikola Katic that have been made by Richard Goff, who appears to have been taking on a mentorship role with the young Croat. Now, I have just turned on um, the uh, website here and for some reason I'm getting some sound. So I do apologise about that, folks. Um, So I've turned that off now. But um, the comments that have been made suggest that um, Richard Goff spoke to Nikola Katic about um, the time when he was left out at Villarreal at the start of the season. Katic had been great in those initial European games and certainly the early games in the league and then dropped out for the Europa League tie in Spain for Joe Worrell, who Gerard's taken on. And uh, here's what Richard Goff said. He said... Um, I came back for the Villarreal game and travelled with the team and I was very surprised not to see him play there. He'd been playing with Conor Goldson and had been a major part of the team. The two of them did really well. I had a chat with him and told him to keep training well. Don't drop your head and don't go in a sulk. I knew how he'd been feeling because he was playing very well and he wasn't in the team. He never played for about two months and I thought that was quite unusual. He is raw, definitely raw, but he's still young and started the season really well. And he goes on to say in a bit of detail about the the, um, the relationship and how the relationship developed with uh, uh, texts and conversations. Uh, and he speaks about how he's guided on with a few bits of uh, insight. He said, I spoke to him about small things like when the position have time on the ball, you can't hold a high line. Just wee things that I look at. You can't You can't try and squeeze up. You have to drop off. I said when I was his age, I used to do that as well. I wanted to smash people and get into them up high. But as I got older, I realised that if I sat back, I can squeeze whenever I want. We had a good chat about a lot of things, and I was happy for him to get back in the team. Now, listen, um, it's probably, you know, manna from heaven for Rangers fans to read about Richard Goff, the, probably the best centre-half in certainly Rangers uh, for the last uh, 40-odd years. But uh, in terms of Katic, he has been really impressive when he's, whenever he's played Jules. And I suppose what the question I wanted to ask you was, is this Gerard's biggest mistake for the season? That he brought in Joe Worrell, a player that he, I think, had to play based on their agreement with Nottingham Forest. He said, look, we're going to play this lad. And brought him in when Katic had been doing very well and formed a terrific partnership with, with Goldson. And for me, Jules, they never convinced in the way Goldson and Katic did together. Worrell had his good games, and I actually think Worrell's a better player than Katic. I do. 22-year-old kid, I think in four or five years' time, he'll be comfortably playing in the Premiership. He's got the lot. But in terms of Katic, I think him and Goldson are better than the sum of their parts and formed a better, more cohesive partnership. I think you saw that again in the game against Celtic Ibrox, where Katic was absolutely outstanding defending uh, corners because you know as we talked about uh, previously Joseph Simunovic um, had scored a couple of goals and, and is really deadly in the air mm-hmm. and Katic really dealt with him very very well in that game something Richard Goff points out in this piece do you think that was a big mistake by Gerard? Um, I think definitely. I think you look at it. You look at as, as you say. You look at the the partnership that he had there um, with Goldson, and they just looked in that sort of way that the 
your second half what it looked like they understood what each other was doing they understood each other where the other one's going to be they were seem to be on top of things quite a lot um, and they were confident and they had a good working relationship and then uh, Worrell coming in just seemed to put the cat amongst the pigeons I think for them I don't think put the cat itch amongst the pigeons put the cat very good sir, very good um, yeah I don't think Worrell's as bad as he's made out obviously um, a lot of the time but at the same time I think you, you, you want your you want your back line to be solid and organised and and Comfortable, you know what I mean? Comfort and the midfield will know that's what's behind them and doing that. I think they had that when, when they had Katic and, and Goldson in there. And it's, you know, and whether you're, whether you're right, whether, you know, they obviously had to play and whatever, but there was a point uh, they could have done a lot better with that in there, and that stability as well. And I think he's proved that again, and, and it should have been left like that. And it's, and it's a bit of a weird one because it was, you know, clearly not as efficient or good as it was before. Yeah, I have to agree. And obviously, I think Cartage has done enough to be the first choice for Rangers going into next season alongside Connor Goldson. I don't think Rangers need to go out and sign a first choice centre back. I think they need to look at someone who's a bit like. Um, Macaulay, Gareth Macaulay someone who can come in who's not going to be necessarily demanding first team minutes, somebody with a bit of experience who can come in when required, when there's injury, but maybe someone who's looking to play 20-25 games as opposed to 50 games a season. Um, anyway, that's that's going to be all from us, we've run over time, brevity is normally the word here Indeed. but uh, no, not today we'll be back on Monday, just in time to make your daily work commute that little bit more bearable you can get more from us at the Football Scotland website and on our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter at football underscore Scott. Um, to ask a question or to make a comment to us individually, you can give me Pelters on at Johnny R. McFarlane and you can give Jules Pelters on Captain underscore Howdy. Until Monday, thanks for listening. <laughs>